So today I've shared a message about do not be afraid, I am with you. And being afraid and being challenged in times of significant difficulty is something I am a little bit familiar with. I have had a few challenges in my life which have really, really brought this message home to my heart. And um, I'd like to begin by just sharing very briefly a little bit about my story so that the things that I share a bit later have some context and you understand why that is so significant to me. Um, you probably all know that I walk with a limp and that's because I've had a problem with my hips ever since I was born. I was born with dislocated hips and my parents lived in a very small um, community out on a forest in South Australia and they didn't realise, because I was a firstborn child, they didn't realise that I had something wrong with my hips until I was over two years old. So I walked on dislocated hips for a long time and that caused permanent um, damage to my hips and um, it meant that I had to be hospitalised for a long time of my life. So when they diagnosed that I had a problem with my hips, I, that, that day I was admitted to a hospital in Mount Gambier in South Australia and I underwent procedures on my hips that um, were without proper anaesthetic and I um, was left um, by my parents, not that they meant to, but this was the, the thing that they did at the time, um, alone in the hospital. And um, that really, really shaped my my heart. So in that time they didn't realise the impact of um, not having proper anaesthetic for manipulation. So they manipulated my hips into splints and plasters without proper um, pain relief. And I would have, I think the, anybody in the place would have heard the screams and the terror in my heart. Um, and then, I, as I said, they didn't realise at the time that it was really important for parents to be present with children. And so they had this understanding that visiting once a week was all that would be, that they would permit. So these procedures were done multiple times without my parents being present and without proper pain relief. And so the sense of abandonment, the sense of terror, um, just the sense of being completely alone um, was very much planted in my soul. But God, God is always much bigger than what we have experienced. And I had a praying grandmother. She was converted in the Welsh revival and she believed in prayer. And she believed that God would hear her prayer. She had a prayer book with a cross through the middle. It was just a plain exercise book. And on one side of the cross, she put the need. On the middle of in the cross, she put what God said. And on the, on the other side, she put when God answered and what he did. But I had a praying grandmother who sought the Lord on my behalf. And my parents loved God too. And they sought the Lord on my behalf as well. But that treatment, um, I was involved in hospitalisation for four and a half years. And they had to take me to Melbourne because they couldn't fix me in Mount Gambier. So I had to go to Melbourne. So my parents are in South Australia and I'm in Melbourne. And the same sort of situation. No visitors, no um, familiar things and it's a strange sort of experience I can still remember um, being in the hospital and um, needing to be very vigilant about my 
care, even as a small child. So um, if, and I can remember this particular situation where they wanted to give me a blood transfusion, my blood levels were too low, and, and I, as a little girl, say, I will not have the blood transfusion. I will not have the blood transfusion unless you get my daddy, unless you tell my daddy, I will not have the blood transfusion. So this is a four or whatever year old child, I can't remember what age I was, but it was between, somewhere between three and six. I will not have a blood transfusion to these staff and they were beside themselves to try to convince me to have this blood transfusion. So I said, I won't have it until you get my daddy. So some nurse went off and supposedly, I don't know what happened, but she came back and said, we've rung daddy and he has donated the blood. So I said, well, if it's daddy's blood, I'll have the blood transfusion. Now, I probably wasn't daddy's blood, but you can see the vigilance and the the effort to try and protect myself. And so sometimes at night, I used to keep my wa- myself awake all night, trying to make sure that I would be safe, trying to make sure that no one would come and do anything that would be bad. But even simple things like my possessions, I had very little possessions. I might have had a, a teddy and a few colouring books and some colouring pencils and I would put them in the locker, reach out and put them in the locker. But I didn't know how many were in a set. And I used to count the numbers and go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Then I'd say to the nurse, how many pencils are in a set? And they'd say, whatever number I had, you see. And I'd say, but that's not the number you said yesterday. They used to come and borrow my pencils when they were at night doing night duty because they were doing their anatomy and they were drawing their drawings for the, for their study, you know, and they used to borrow my pencils. And uh, they'd, they'd go and my mum and dad would come and say, now, where's those, where's those pencils? And I'd say, oh, lost to the boys. So you didn't even have even any possessions or anything that you could sort of take any comfort from if people delivered a bag of lollies. I can remember someone delivering a bag of barley sugars. And things that came from home represented my home. So they were precious to me because that was my, in a sense, a substitute, the closest I could get to something that belonged to me. Anyway, they'd take the the lollies and they'd give them supposedly out to all the children. I guess they didn't really want us indulging on bags of lollies, but from my perspective, you see, I thought it was the loss of the only things that I that I had. And I think the sense of um, being alone in it and the terror of it just built an incredible fear in my heart, um, particularly towards doctors. So when occasionally my parents would take me home, any time they got into the car, I would say, not see Dr. Man, not see Dr. Man. And this was a very strong cry until they would say, no, we're not going to the doctor, we're going to church or some other thing. And they had to be careful to always tell me truth so that if we were going to see the Dr. Man, they had to say, you know, we were going to see the Dr. Man. But sadly, this fear of doctors transferred across to Jesus and um, my parents when they visited once a week would try to tell me stories of Jesus and I would say don't tell me about Jesus because he's a doctor man he wears a white coat and he heals people I think that's just an example a typical example of what the enemy likes to do He likes to make sure that he's sown into our hearts a lie about God and then we won't trust God. And I'm thankful that God actually wants to reveal those lies and actually set us free because those things damage our capacity to trust God. And so through 
all the years of my life, I believe that God has been redeeming and healing the things that happened to me as a small child. And I'm really here to testify that God is bigger than the most huge, most grievous and most damaging thing that could be done to our hearts. You know, and all of you have shared testimonies of the same sort of thing. Our God is a God who redeems. And I want to share some of the things that I think God has been showing me recently, but also through the years of battling through trouble. Because unfortunately, the problem with my hips didn't finish when I was a little girl. I've had four hip replacements already. And I've also fallen and broken my hip when I was 38 weeks pregnant. So the damage that was done, in a sense, as a small child to my frame, to my bones, has meant that I've had more challenges to bear since then too. So it's in this time that God is is not only um, healing me, but he's actually using the things from the past to help me to be whole now. You know, he's, he's revisiting things from the past and speaking life into me from his word and his heart is so good. So that's what I wanted to say before I sort of set forth on this little journey about um, what I wanted to share about. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. So I shared out, you know... Um, God uses circumstances to to actually help us see where our problems are, what our unbelief is. And and you can see that there's lots of reasons why I would have lots of problems with unbelief. But recently I had another opportunity to see and for God to help me be healed. About a couple of months back, I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I felt, um, <clears throat> excuse me, nauseous and I felt dizzy and I felt my heart was pounding and I was not sure what was going on. This was quite out of the blue and I, I really didn't know what, what was happening. And, and so I said, I woke Eric up and asked him to pray for me and then I said, honey, I think it's something to do with my heart. I don't know what it is, but something's to do with my heart. And so he tried to take my blood pressure and we couldn't get a reading. He tried six times on both arms and three on each arm. And I said, well, maybe we have to call an ambulance because I don't want you to take me into hospital and something go wrong on the way, as in that we can't control and so let's get an ambulance. So they came and they hooked me up with all these little um, buttons on my my system and um, they said, oh, yes, your heart is racing and you've got a few of those funny beats yes yes we'll take you into the hospital so oh dear <laughs> and <laughs> my heart starts to my actual emotional heart the the real me starts to become afraid so um so they pop me all up in the um in ambulance and take me off to the hospital and as i'm wheeling into the hospital i say to the father I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I said, Lord, um, I know that my eternity is in your hands. If I died tonight, I know, I am confident that I would go to be with you. But I'm not confident that you are going to intervene for me today. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I do believe you, Lord, but I know this is the truth. I know I'm not believing that you're going to intervene for me tonight. I really honestly believe that we need to be honest with God. You know, I do believe you, God, but I don't, I'm having trouble here, so help my unbelief. So I felt like the Lord began a journey in my heart to heal something that was painted, I mean, began way back when I was a little girl. Something more that he wanted to put his finger on in terms of my healing. And I cried out to God that he would speak to me and help me understand 
what he wanted me to know, despite the fear that he would be able to speak to my heart and help me. And so I, I continued in this journey. By the way, there was nothing seriously wrong with me. I had some, they discovered that I had some ventricular ectopic beat, but it wasn't um, a dangerous thing to my well-being. But it was there and it was was doing its thing and, and my response was fear and so my heart was beating fast. But it was not that I had something, finally it just, they decided I didn't have something serious. But anyway, in my heart, in my own heart, I felt God was taking me um, on a journey. He was He used this situation to expose something so that I could be healed. Anyway, not too long later, I went up to Newcastle because we had a family from Holland and we took them out for um, a dinner and I, I had my little grandchildren with me and little Caleb, the five-year-old, was sitting beside me. And he had his Bible to keep him occupied during the... Uh, he had a children's Bible and, and it was fairly new and he was very proud of it. And we had a zipper and, you know, he kept zipping it and undoing it and looking at pictures and then zipping it back and undoing it again. And you know how it, you know how it happens. Anyway, so I said to Caleb, now, darling, tell me, what is your favourite story in the Bible? I thought, you know, he'd tell me some Jesus... Um, you know, Goliath, David and Goliath, or Jesus calming the storm, or I know that he likes that one. But anyway, he didn't. He said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I thought, wow. Um, And I felt like out of the mouths of babes, you know, that way, you know, that God speaks and you just think, and it went straight into my heart. And I thought, And I said, oh, don't you have a favourite story, darling? And he said, no, do not be afraid because I am with you. I said, oh, that's a very good verse, darling, very good verse. And I'm thinking in my heart, I'm going to have to ponder on this. You know, I'm going to seek you, Lord, about this because the way it went into my heart, I just knew it had his word in it. It had his voice. And so I said to the Lord, okay. What is it about your presence being with us that allays fear? Why is it that your presence just, he doesn't say a lot, he just says, do not be afraid because I'm with you. So why is it about, what is it about his presence being with us that allays fear? Why? So I, I say to the Lord, you know, what is it? Not in a... Um, demanding voice I'm just saying father okay you've spoken to me what is it you want me to know and I felt like he said to me all that I am is available to you when I'm with you all that I am is available to you when I'm with you so this is God who's with us it's not a passive father or someone standing in the distance who's with me it's God who's with me so he said to me all that I am is available to you and then I said to the Lord well I I need to see who you are more because my heart needs to hear your voice about this particular fear this this particular situation that's driven me into fear what is it about you, your presence that you want me to, to see? And he started to show me about his, his heart and his, his, his person, his, what he's like in a greater measure. And so these are the things that I want to talk about. I want to focus on some of the character aspects of his character. I could go on and on, but I have just chosen about four things to share just to be here and not going to bed um, at midnight or something, but it's just that he is so magnificent that we could really talk about his wonderful character on and on. But the first thing I'd like to talk about is um, his power, his incredible, incredible power. 
this is the God who comes alongside us and says, I'm with you. He is the all-powerful God. And I just am drawn to think about um, dear Job when he came to the point where um, God spoke to him. And these are some of the words that Job had to hear. But this this explains a bit like what God was speaking to me about as well. Can you hold back the movements of the stars? Are you able to restrain Pleiades or Orion? Can you ensure the proper sequences of the seasons or guide the constellations of the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe and how God rules the earth? Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. This is what God spoke into my heart about his power, his incredible power. There is nothing impossible to God. That's what the angel told Mary. With God, nothing is impossible. We we belong to a God who is a father to us, who is standing with incredible might and incredible power. There is nothing that can withstand his authority and his power and we need to see him in more of his magnificence more and more of his power because this is the power that will protect us this is the power that stands on our behalf we see that incredible power in in the story of in mark when it's recorded about jesus calming the storm the authority that jesus had when he spoke to the to the storm and we understand that the storm was probably a demonically stirred up thing because Jesus was going to the other side of the lake and there was a a poor dear man full of demons and the enemy probably knew that he was Jesus was coming and there was this absolutely huge storm not a typical storm because even the fishermen were terrified But Jesus stood and with one voice, with one word, he calmed the storm and he said, peace be still. And this is the God who's not standing in the corner with his arms folded. This is our God who's fighting for us. And um, various different people like Isaiah in the Psalms and David in the Psalms talk about how God contends for us. He contends for us. He, he says, um, I will contend with those that contend with you and I will save your children. There's, there's so many words that speak about his incredible power and he is wanting to use his power on our behalf. We have a father who wants to do that for us. The second thing about his character I just wanted to touch a little bit about again is his wisdom. Now, his wisdom is completely wholesome. He knows exactly the best thing to do in the right time. This is his this is his heart. It says in Jeremiah 10 verses 12 and 13, but God made the earth by his power. He formed the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters of the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the end of the earth. He sends lightning into the rain. He brings out the wind from its storehouses. This is our God. And he has incredible wisdom, which is above our understanding. You know that scripture, my thoughts are not yours, says the Lord. My ways are higher than your ways. So his wisdom is absolutely perfect. And he knows, because of his wisdom, how to use his power. Um, Often God, in his wisdom, doesn't use his power in the way that we would think would be appropriate because God is totally wise and he's totally trustworthy in the way he uses his power. It says in Isaiah 55, 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God wants us to trust that his wisdom is, is the best for us. It's not just an, a whim. He is not capricious. He uses his power with great wisdom. 
and we can trust his wisdom. In Romans 11.33, it says it very succinctly. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unfathomable. This is the Amplified. Um, my brother calls it the women's version. Anyway, because it's got more words. <laughs> anyway, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unfathomable. How unsearchable are his judgments and his decisions. How untraceable, mysterious and undiscoverable are his ways, his methods and his paths. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We have a wonderful, very good and wise God. The third thing I just wanted to focus on was his goodness. We have heard it, I'm sure, many times, but God is good and he's always good all the time. And this is one of the things that fear attacks about God most of all in my heart is his goodness. I can believe in his power with greater ease and I can believe in his Wisdom in greater ease, but his goodness is where I believe the Lord is wanting to heal my heart in greater measure because I question his goodness. And this is where I have to again run to, to Father and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because he, because he doesn't come at my timing, because I can't feel him. Then I believe the circumstances instead of what he said he's going to be. And that he will be all the time. But he is good. He is always good. And he wants us to be dependent on his goodness. That he is always good. In Psalm 27 verse 13 it says, I would have lost heart unless I'd believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Our God knows that we need to know that he is good. This psalmist says that he would have lost heart if he hadn't believed that God is good. And that's why the enemy goes for God is good, because he wants to undermine our trust in God's goodness. But God is good to the point that he will turn even the circumstances that have battered us and changed our heart to not trust him. He will turn it for good and that's what he's doing in my life. And he continues to do. But it is fundamental that we believe that God is always good all the time. Even when we can't see what it is that he's doing, we have to trust that his heart is for good. And we have these scriptures that I remember from children's church. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, or plans to prosper you and not to harm you to give you a future and a hope. God knows that we need this and to know that this is our foundation. We see God's goodness being revealed to us throughout the scriptures, throughout the whole New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. And I think particularly of Moses when he said to God, when they were having this discussion about God going with them, you remember? And he said, I don't want to go unless your presence is going with, with us. But then he says another thing, show me your glory. And the reply that I find is really, really interesting is that God says, I will, my, my goodness, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So the understanding of glory is actually reflected in his goodness. And he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So when Moses had this experience of the glory of the Lord or the goodness of the Lord passing before him, this is what the Lord describes about himself. And this is one of the only places where it's succinctly God describes his own character. So I think it's pretty important when God describes himself that we really understand that that's what he is really like. So this is what the Lord said when he passed, passed Moses. He said, 
The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So all of those attributes, his compassion, his graciousness, his slowness to anger, his, his abounding love and his faithfulness, all are his goodness. That's what God said about himself. He said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you and this is my goodness. I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger. In other words, I'm not going to react in a fit of impatience or intolerance. I am slow to anger. I only get angry when something is really not good for you. And I am abounding in love and I abound in faithfulness. This is my goodness. You can depend on my goodness. We see that same goodness reflected in the nature of our Jesus when he came on the earth because he completely, in every possibly, in every possible way, he reflected the Father perfectly. And we see his compassion. We see his tenderness. We see him reaching for the lost. We see him weeping with Martha and Mary. We see him passionate. It says he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. In the belly of his heart, he had great compassion and he was moved to act on behalf of people. He said um, he was full of compassion for the woman who lost her son. Full of compassion for Jairus's um, daughter and he tenderly took her hand and called her back to life. This is our God, full of compassion. And it even said that he wept over Jerusalem, full of compassion. He just wanted us to, he wanted Jerusalem and he wants us to come under his wings because he knows that we need him. He knows that we can't bear the pain and the suffering by ourselves. So the goodness of God was another thing. And one of the most precious things that I think um, sums it all up is his unconditional and passionate love. He is like a roaring lion. We were talking about it here. He is ferocious. He is very, very intentional in his love for us. He is not passive. He is not standing back watching. Yes, he may wait, but he was only waiting for the moment that he needs to intervene. He is not passive. He is not delaying. He is not capricious and careless about the way he intervenes for us. He is com he's very passionate. And he, he demonstrates how his love to us in an unconditional way. It's not just that he loves those who, once we've become Christians. He loves us before we became Christians. And that's what's said very clearly in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when it says, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so that puts to bed another one of the arguments that the enemy uses. You're not good enough. You are not worthy of God's of God's love or his intervention. You are not full of faith. You are not. But God said, I demonstrate love towards people because while they were sinners, I died. Jesus died while he was waiting for us to come to believe in him. He didn't wait for us to believe in him to love us. He loved us in our most wretched state. So even when we are struggling with fear, when we're struggling with unbelief, when we're struggling with doubt and we are disorientated and fearful, God is still loving us and still wanting to intervene and He is able to intervene even in our unbelief if we can come to him with our unbelief. I do honestly believe we need to understand that his love for us is unconditional. We cannot earn it, but neither can we be disqualified from it. That is one of the truths about understanding God's unconditional love. We cannot deserve it. We cannot earn it as in do the things to make us lovable. But we cannot be disqualified either. This is, this is the thing that we need to depend on. His unconditional love. 
and he is strong and mighty to deliver. This is another thing about his love. He is very intentional. In Isaiah 49 is a great example I, I really take heart with. And I trust in God for this for my children who are not walking with God at the moment. It says here, Can plunder be taken from warriors? Or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those that contend with you and your children I will save. God is very passionate. He is very passionate. He is so loves us that he does not want anything that falls short of the very, very best for our lives. And when something comes in to steal and steal and destroy like the enemy does, he will, he will take the plunder from the warrior and he will rescue us because he is our God. So the one that's standing with us when we're in trouble is a very determined and very strong and very passionate God. And yet he's very tender. Have you noticed how he shows great tenderness to the brokenhearted? It says in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So he's tender towards us as his children. He's tender towards Jairus' daughter. He's tender towards that son of the widow and the widow herself. Tender. But if the enemy comes in, he is going to rise up. And there's a really beautiful scripture in Psalm 34 that I think describes it very nicely in the Passion. Excuse me. 35 it is. just had to read it from the passion because it's got passion. O Lord, fight for me. Harass the hecklers. Accuse my accusers. Fight those who fight against me. Put on your armour, Lord. Take up your shield and protect me. Rise up, mighty God. Take your shield and protect me. Grab your weapons of war and block the way of the wicked who come to fight me. Stand for me when they stand against me. Speak over my soul. I am your strong saviour. And I think that's a really crucial aspect of the whole thing, that God wants to speak over our soul, that he is our strong saviour. Now, he may use different words, but he always wants to give us a word, an understanding of him that says to our spirit, to our soul, I am your strong saviour. That's what we hold on to when we're in trouble. We can't hold on to flimsy um, words that haven't got the power of the Holy Spirit and anointing in it. We have to hold on to the rhema word, the word that God is saying right now. And I think that's the power of his word. I wanted to share just one last little part about my testimony. I was going for a hip replacement and I was really struggling. Bev, you'll remember this time. I was really struggling to get a sense of peace. And the doctor had told me that he had to do very extensive surgery. He said that my hip x-ray scared the hell out of him. So I didn't have a sense of faith that what he could do would be safe necessarily and I was struggling and I had shared in home group that I'd struggled and we were praying that I would have peace but I just could not have any sense of peace and I really battled many, many nights. It's funny how the, the battle's often in the night. I don't know whether that's just unique to me but it's often in the night for me and I remember really battling with the Lord about this thing of not having enough faith because I wanted to qualify. I couldn't qualify because I didn't have any sense of confidence, no sense of peace at all. And it's getting closer and closer and I, 
I'm getting more and more desperate. I even asked for prayer specifically about having not a, no faith. And I just in the middle of the night was battling with the Lord about it. And I said to the Lord at the end of this battle, I said, Father, you'll just have to take me on as I am. I can't come any other way. I can't get the faith. I can't make it right. I can't. I can't come any other way. You'll just have to take me on as I am. And um, I felt that God spoke something into my spirit as, as that he would, he would take me on. The peace came. He was taking me on as I was. I just I couldn't come any other way. But he said, that's, that's, I've been waiting for you to come like that. Just as you are. You can't make it right. You can't get faith. It's not something you can make yourself. And so I went to the um, prophetic sessions the next Sunday. And um, a dear sister of mine gave me a, a word. She said, not knowing that I was having a hip replacement or anything, I didn't say anything or why I was there. She said, you're about to enter into a very, very serious um, situation. It's a bit like a precipice and it's very icy and it's very dangerous and there's not much space. But Jesus is going to take you across this precipice. He's going to carry you, but you have to give up everything of your own strength and your own ideas and your own wisdom and everything of your own you have to give it all up yes and then in my readings another time it was just a few days later I came across this scripture in Isaiah chapter 63 um, verse 9 it says here in all their affliction he was afflicted and he personally saved them in his love and pity, he redeemed them and he lifted them up and carried them through all the years. That was linking to that word that was given to me in the prophetic session. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. This spoke so much comfort to my soul because he said to me that he was afflicted. He was experiencing the exact thing that I was experiencing he had experienced it on the cross for me, but he was still aware that that was what I was experiencing. And he was feeling that because time is not sort of limited to God. So God was speaking to me, I am afflicted when you are afflicted. But it says that he personally saved me. He picked me up in his love and pity. He redeemed me. He redeemed me. He turned it around for my good. He took the circumstances that were for my destruction and he redeemed me and he's continuing to redeem me and he lifted me up and this was very, very important to me. He took me, he bent down and he took me up. In my brokenness, in my weakness, he bent to me and he picked me up and he carried me. And in my heart I saw that he carried me on his back. I wasn't being carried like... It was on his back, on his back. And this was important to me because God was speaking to me about my need to cooperate with him. So by being on his back, it was like I was on his shoulders, you see. And I had to go with him. As he moved this way, I had to go with him. And as he went this way, I had to go with him. And that to me meant I was trusting. I was yielding. I was going with this process of being, going to the surgery and trusting that he was actually going to go before me and he would make it right, as in he would do the best for me. He would keep me safe. He would, he would face everything I had to face. He would actually experience it himself, but he would actually go there for me and with me. There's something about suffering that is really... Um, very, it makes you feel very alone. All suffering, I think, has in common that we're out of control and we really, really feel very alone because not one single person can ever really enter into our shoes. I mean a human person, but Jesus can because he has experienced it. He's actually had it in himself. 
this is something he bore. It's not something we tell him about. He bore it. He feels it. He knows it. And to have someone bearing it with me meant I was actually given courage. Someone was going to take me with, go with me through it. And I came across this wonderful song called I Am Strong When I Am On Your Shoulders. And it really spoke to me about this picture, this whole thing. You see, this was God speaking to me. Over my soul, you are my saviour. You are my saviour. So he was telling me, I am saving you, Ruth. You are, you are safe. I'm your saviour. And I held on to that, that whole picture, the scripture and the song. And as I'm going into the theatre, I'm singing to the Lord and singing out loud, I am strong when I'm on your shoulders. Now, the song is a little bit sentimental in a way, but it was not sentimental to me at the time. I was singing because I am on God's shoulders and I'm facing something, but he's with me and he's taking me through it. And that is, that is my testimony. Um, God is with us. And in Zion 41, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This is the God we serve. And just a little end to the story about my, I will not be afraid because you're with me. I was looking after Harrison just a couple of, uh, just a month or so ago. So this is this journey of learning his, his new hope for me. And he said, I want you to look up in the scripture. Um, I will lie down and sleep for you alone will make me dwell in safety. But I didn't have my Bible with me at the time because I was looking after Harrison. So I looked up, I got my phone and I just typed in because I always find that that'll help me find where it's, you know, belongs, where the reference is. So I looked up the scripture and the first thing that came on the iPhone was a song by a man called Steve Green. And it's a children's song. And it starts with these children singing Psalm 4, verse 8. I will lie down and sleep and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, will make me dwell in safety. And then a little three-year-old child sang it with her broken um, diction and, and very quaint voice. But it was like my heart in the child of me, where the brokenness was there, sang that song. I will lie down and sleep. I will lie down and sleep and sleep in peace. I will lie down and sleep in peace. You alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. I will lie down and sleep in peace. And that was God's word to me. That was his heart. And it was sung by a three-year-old child. Three or four. But it was very, the funny diction. I will die down and sleep. And it was like I was singing it to God. And... He was speaking to that three-year-old child but also to me as an adult that I don't have to be vigilant. I don't have to be trying to protect myself. I don't have to be having all the things right. My anxious vigilance will not add to his ability to save me. And um, this is our place of safety. And I would really like to just Allow the Father to minister into every one of our hearts now in response because he wants to speak the same word over you, that he is your saviour. And we've got a song that we're going to play over you. And I, I just feel confident that Father wants to come to each person in their own particular way. You might want to respond to him by kneeling 
you might want to respond to him by standing with your arms up. You might want to respond by putting your hands out. Or you might want to just put your hands on your heart. Or you might just want to sit. But I, fa- I believe that Father wants to just really speak the word, I am your strong saviour, into every one of our hearts. Because he wants to be the place that we run to. He really, really wants to be that person that we trust in his goodness, in his power, his incredible wisdom and his amazing love. He really wants us to trust him. We just pray that our eyes would be opened more and more to see how magnificent you are. Father, you know the struggles that we have, but you are magnificent, Lord. You is nothing too hard for you. And we pray, Father, that as we come with honesty before you, that you will bring life to our souls, Lord, that you will speak over our souls, that you're our strong saviour, that you will deliver us, Lord, from fear and that you will deliver us from unbelief. Lord, magnify your name in our hearts. May we see you and we will be changed to be like you. We want to magnify your name before the world, Lord. We want to give away what we have received. But, Father, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would see you, that we would hear you, that we would respond to you. Father, we just pray that you take us as we are. We can't come any other way. Please take us as we are, Father. And take us on and train us and redeem us and change us. So we really, really know your magnificence, Lord, in every aspect of our life. Father, you are good. We want to declare that, Lord, and it to be the truth of our hearts, from the depth of our hearts, that you are totally good. Because the world needs to know that you are good, Lord. Father, we commit ourselves into your care for tonight and we thank you, Lord, that you will keep us safe. You will keep us safe, Father. You will cause us to dwell in safety. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.